Good evening, dear listeners. It is Tuesday, June 11th, 2013, and welcome to the first summer edition of Eye on the Triangle. I'm DeAndre Jones, and we thank you for tuning in. We've had a bit of a hiatus in June and May for summer and the final season and whatnot, but we managed to bring the show back online for the summer. There are some major changes, though. Over the summer, my staff has greatly decreased, so expect to hear a lot of me. Also, the show is running bi-weekly over the summer, meaning that our next show will not be until June 25th, 2013. Tonight, we've got a mix of new summer-related stories that I think you all will really enjoy. From Packapalooza to construction to Cameron Village, we're bringing you all a medley of information pieces from around Raleigh. Also, expect a restaurant of the week from me as well as a weird science from Jean. But first, the weather for the coming week. So tomorrow, Wednesday, June 12th, we're looking at a high of 95 degrees. It's getting hotter, guys. A low of 74 and a 0% chance of rain, which is honestly really surprising uh, looking at our last couple of days and in the future when I tell you guys. Thursday, June 13th, we're looking at scattered thunderstorms and a potential for severe thunderstorms, so be careful. 40% chance of rain with a 94-degree high and a 68-degree low. Friday, partly cloudy, 78 degrees. It's going to be nice and cool that day. 62 as a low. Chance of rain, 20%. Saturday, getting into the weekend, now we have a high of 83, getting a little bit warmer, but still not as hot as it was this week. And a low of 65, partly cloudy, with a 10% chance of rain. Sunday's looking pretty much the same. 83 degree high, 67 degree low, partly cloudy with a 10% chance of rain. Monday, looking at 85, high, 69, low, 40% chance of rain and scattered thunderstorms. So uh, remember to bring your umbrellas on Monday. Moving into some of the top stories for today, the Obama administration will allow minors to obtain one form of the emergency contraception known as the morning after pill dropping its appeal of a judge's order, requiring it to be sold over the counter. U.S. District Judge Edward Corman has ruled in April that the government must allow over-the-counter sales, and a federal appeals court rejected the administration's challenge to that ruling last week. The administration had been criticized by some women's rights groups for trying to stop contraception sales to underage females. In a Monday letter to Corman, Justice Department attorneys said the Food and Drug Administration and the Department of Health and Human Services had agreed to make the single pill version of the drug available without age or point of sale restrictions. Next up, a grand jury will investigate last week's deadly building collapse in Philadelphia to determine whether anyone besides a crane operator will face criminal charges in the case. The announcement came after authorities charged crane operator Sean Benship with involuntary manslaughter and other accounts, accusing him of being too impaired to operate a crane at the incident site. A vacant building was being torn down in downtown Philadelphia when a four-story wall collapsed onto an adjacent Salvation Army thrift store on Wednesday, killing six people and injuring nine. The grand jury will convene on Monday, and the panel will investigate any and all aspects of the collapse, including city agencies and policies, to determine if anyone in addition to Mr. Benship should be held criminally responsible. Lastly for today, the question is self-defense or murder in the case of George Zimmerman, a neighborhood watch volunteer who killed 17-year-old Trayvon Martin. Monday marked the start of jury selection in Seminole County, Florida, where Martin was fatally shot on February 26, 2012. The shooting put a national spotlight on Zimmerman's hometown of Sanford and sparked fresh debates about race relations and gun laws in America. Zimmerman is Hispanic. Martin was African-American. An initial decision not to pursue charges against Zimmerman led to the dismissal of the town's police chief, 
in the appointment of a special prosecutor who accused the Neighborhood Watch volunteer of unjustly profiling and killing Martin. And that's all for the news today. We are going to move right into the stories here. Our first story is about Packapalooza, which is a giant family NC State tradition that is on the rise. Here is my interview with the student body president about this year's Packapalooza. NC State had its first Packapalooza last year. However, it did so well that we just had to bring it back for another year. Here to tell us a little bit about the games, fun, concert, and a little bit more is Matt Williams, the student body president. All right, guys, I'm sitting here with the student body president, Matthew Williams. Um, Matt, how are you doing today? I'm doing great. How are you doing? I'm doing pretty great myself. I'm really glad to have you in the studio today with me. Uh, we're going to be talking about Packapalooza 13. Um, first of all, Matt, are you excited for this event? I'm definitely excited about Packapalooza. It was actually one of the objectives on my platform was to bring Packapalooza back. And luckily, didn't know at the time they were already in the midst of bringing it back. So check off one for us so far. But I'm definitely excited to have Packapalooza back here at NC State. Awesome, awesome. So who is organizing this event? Packapalooza is actually organized by multiple groups on campus, um, multiple departments. We actually have a huge committee compiled of students and administrators that all get together this time of year, and it's all about Packapalooza. Awesome. So tell me, is the budget bigger or smaller than last year's Packapalooza? Unfortunately, without 125 happening here at NC State, we are happy to be 126 years old, but unfortunately with that birthday came a not so much funding. So (laughs) the budget's (laughs) a little bit smaller than last year, but luckily we have a lot of people who worked on the event last year coming back this year, and we know know what we're into. We know what we're putting on and... We're definitely going to have a better, in my opinion, a better event than we had last year, even though the budget won't be as large. As a whole, why did the university decide to continue with this event? Packapalooza really became that one event that NC State put on that, besides homecoming, brought everyone in the community back here to NC State. Whether you're an alumni, current student, you're just a resident of Raleigh, you came to Hillsborough Street it shut the street down which rarely happened so it was really exciting to see all those people out there attendance last year was around 30,000 individuals on the street at one time so it was it's a huge event it was a positive event and a lot of people just had a great amount of fun so when you're doing something like that you have to bring it back ultimately knowing that last year's Packapalooza was successful uh, obviously, there's you know some things that got to be improved on. So, what are some things that you guys are aiming to change for this year's Packapalooza? We're aiming to work on really making Packapalooza an event that is really based on happening every year. When we did Packapalooza last year, it was only supposed to be for a year, so we didn't invest in some of those things that you can reuse every year, such as signs or some some connections that we didn't have that we're definitely going to bring back this year and really just working on visibility and publicity of getting things out there, letting students know just what is out there on the street. Some zones last year were 
hitting a little bit. We didn't have as much signage for those. We're definitely changing that around this year and just making sure that we're maximizing the budget with the best things out there for students. We got a great, um, last year was a great example with some great things that we had out there, but it really became a test and we know it worked for students last year. So we're bringing it back bigger and better this year. You know, we see each other almost every week on this committee, uh, Packapalooza. So I know a little bit about this process, but for uh, to explain to our students, you know, what goes into planning an event that's this large, you know, 30,000 participants is a huge amount of people. A lot, a lot, a lot of collaboration and planning. Um, weekly, as you know, when we get in those meetings, we're discussing everything from the artist to walking the street to see exactly where things are going to hearing what other individuals are working on in their zones. We have zones that span from covering the arts to internationals to the Wolfpack zone to the sports zone to the green zone. We're covering everything that day. So a lot of individuals are doing a lot of work outside of those meetings and building those relationships and getting people out there to fill spots on the street, getting those vendors out there, getting those participants, myself working in the Wolfpack zone, working to get the Wolfpack club out there, working to get Tuffy. Everyone loves Tuffy, so we got to get them out here <laughs> on the street. So it's a lot of stuff outside of our meetings, but it's just a lot of collaboration with putting this project together because it is a massive event and Really, in my opinion, besides homecoming, it is the biggest event for NC State. It's that staple event for us. And uh, can students volunteer at this event if they want to? Students can definitely volunteer at this event. It's actually highly encouraged. We, like you said, 30,000 people were there last year, and that's not even knowing what the event was. This year, people know what to expect, so they're really changing their plans around to make sure they're in town for Packapalooza this year. So students definitely you can volunteer just go to go.ntsu.edu backslash packapalooza and on that front page is a volunteer link click on that and you can go ahead and volunteer no problem you know you are our new student body president congratulations uh, by the way thank you what is your role in an event this large my role is just working with the other students on the committee to make sure that students voices are being represented as much as possible and to make sure that at the end of the day students are going to have fun this event is the closing out of welcome week so we have to make sure that it's awesome we have to make sure that incoming students are going to have a great time we have to make sure that seniors who are coming back are going to come from off campus come back for that weekend to have fun it's my role my real role is to make sure students are going to have as much fun as possible at Palooza. And also to work with the other students on the committee to make sure we can have students out there for certain events like performances and things like that. We want to get students involved and we want to make sure that they're having fun. Were you in attendance at last year's Packapalooza? I was in attendance at last year's Packapalooza. I was actually in charge of the Wolfpack Zone. So what was your favorite part? My favorite part, honestly, was it's actually a tie. It was between getting a chance to see Tuffy and... At the end of the night, when we, Carolina Liar was finishing up their performance, they were gone. It was the, Andy was out there, the Chancellor was out there. We sung the Red and White song and lit the Bell Tower Red, which a lot of students don't get an opportunity to see the Bell Tower Red. So to have it up there was amazing. I know personally, you know, seeing the Chancellor play a song with Carolina Liar was definitely really, really cool. So what day is the event? 
Packapalooza this year is August 24th. It's on that Saturday, and it starts at 2 p.m., and it lasts until 10 p.m. Um, do you know off the top of your head if that's before classes start? That, if I'm not mistaken, is after classes start. Okay. Um, so, students, mark your calendars, August 24th. Where should we go if we want to learn more about this event, Matt? If you want to learn more about Packapalooza, you can go to go.ntsu.edu backslash Packapalooza. During the meeting, we were talking about a little bit of social networking. Um, is there a, a hashtag that's supposed to be going around for this event? If I'm not mistaken, the hashtag is hashtag Packapalooza or hashtag NTSU Packapalooza. Very cool. All right, Matt, thank you so much for coming in today. Uh, I appreciate having you here. No problem. Thanks for having me. This was fun. And students, uh, get pumped for Packapalooza. Go Pack. Most def. And for Eye on the Triangle, this has been DeAndre Jones. Cameron Village is a really popular place here around NC State and in Raleigh, but there's definitely something that you didn't know about it. Here's Andrew with more. Cameron Village was first developed in 1949 as Raleigh's first planned community, just up the street from NC State. Based on a shopping plaza in Kansas City, it is thought to be the first of its kind to be built between Washington, D.C. and Atlanta, a mix of shops, restaurants, and apartments that would become widespread over the next 50 years. But Cameron Village has a secret history, something you can never learn from visiting its streets today. There aren't many records of it, and the only people who know about it were the ones who were there. I'm talking about the windowless halls beneath Cameron Village, whose paint-peeling walls once held a number of nightclubs, music venues, and arcades in the late 70s and early 80s, and who hosted such bands as the Ramones, R.E.M., Sonic Youth, and Black Flag. For Eye on the Triangle, I'm Andrew Eichen, and this is The Village Subway. Initially housing stores, Cameron Village's basement failed to serve as a good environment for retailers. In 1972, it was redesigned to resemble a subway station, and now held popular restaurants and clubs such as The Pier and Deja Vu. For a time, the subway was well known for its music, but as the national scene changed, so did the acts Cameron Village attracted. In the beginning, it hosted such artists as Bette Midler, Barry Manilow, and Steve Martin. But when punk came to Raleigh, it came to the subway first. A great number of punk and early indie rock bands, many of them major influences to WKNC's current programming, played some of their earliest shows beneath Cameron Village. The Ramones, X, Black Flag, and Dead Kennedys were there. The replacements opened for the Violet Femmes, and R.E.M. played there only two months after their debut EP, Chronic Town, a performance which is now viewable on YouTube.
After a fire in the Atlanta underground, which served as inspiration for the village subway, along with managerial dislike of the crowd attracted by the punk shows at the pier and the Battle Station's video arcade, the subway closed in 1984. Today, what remains beneath the fresh market are a series of empty halls still accessible from a couple of alleyway stairs. If you were a Raleigh punk, or maybe just wandered down the subway steps one evening in 1979, contact us at wknc.org slash EOT or on Twitter at WKNC underscore EOT. We'd love to hear your stories. For Eye on the Triangle, I'm Andrew Eichen. Making a girl. Actually making a girl. Hey guys, I'm back again this week to bring you your headline science news. So for all of you environmentally conscious folk out there, research currently conducted by Monash University and CSIRO indicates that emissions from coal power stations could be reduced through the implementation of newly created material, which absorbs large amounts of carbon dioxide, then releases it under sun exposure. This material is also energy efficient as it utilizes sunlight to release the stored carbon, thus overcoming the inefficiency and energy intensiveness of the carbon capture methods used currently. The material belongs to the photosensitive metal organic framework category, which is a class of materials known for their exceptional capacity to store gases. MOFs have an extremely high internal surface area, which is why they can store large volumes of gas. The surface area of one gram of an MOF could cover an entire football field. It releases the stored carbon dioxide under sun exposure, just like wringing a sponge. Essentially, this new technology is being used to create a carbon sponge of sorts, and it will be optimized to increase the efficiency of carbon dioxide levels in an industrial environment. In other news... Scientists at the University of Texas Anderson Cancer Center Department of Systems Biology have refined their previously built synthetic gene circuit, which was implemented to tune the gene expression in yeast. The team has developed this technology to the point where it's functional in human cells. Using the circuit, one can turn a gene from completely off to completely on, or any point between those two extremes in each cell at once. It reminds me of one of those dimmers for light, I don't know if that makes it more approachable, but this tool is helpful in monitoring cell processes at intermediate levels of gene expression. This system is completely new and is available for mammalian research. This system is a lot more efficient than the current gene expression alteration technology, which we possess now, as it lacks the precision of this gene circuit. For example, Inserting a gene expression vector into cells overexpresses the gene, but it's usually uncontrolled. This new precise circuit is relevant to cancer research. The system will allow scientists to test the parameters of a gene known to express resistance towards a drug in cancer cells by dialing down its expression to different levels and treating the cells with the drug. This system would also allow personalized gene therapy by precisely tuning the therapeutic gene expression level depending on the patient's needs and progression of the disease. The system is so precise 
that in microbial and yeast biology, scientists have been able to manipulate gene function quantitatively, and this rivals our understanding of electronic circuits. Research is moving towards transferring this understanding towards mammalian cells, including human cells. So these steps are extremely crucial for tomorrow's therapies. That's all for this week. Stay tuned next week for the latest in science news. This has been Gene Jerna for WKNC 88.1 FM, Raleigh. Campus is abuzz right now with the sounds of heavy machinery and loud drilling. I sat down with transportation to figure out the what's and why's of summer construction in 2013. If you're on campus frequently over the summer, then it's impossible to not have taken notice to all the construction that's been going on, mainly on Cates Avenue. If you're wondering what all this construction is about, like me, then this story is for you. Here with us today is Tara Lanier from University Transportation to talk about some of the summer projects that are happening this year. Hey guys, today I'm with Tara Lanier to talk about the construction that's been taking place over the summer. Tara, how are you today? I'm pretty well. How are you? I'm pretty good. Thank you for giving me some of your time today. You're welcome. Which of these construction projects are the most notable? For the summer of 2013, I really feel like the Cates Avenue construction that's occurring um, due to the Tally Project, and of course the Tally Project itself is probably the most notable and uh, really stands out to the campus community because of the disturbances and the road closure. Quick question, when is the Tally Project supposed to come online? A portion of it will be opening this fall with the remainder to open um, in 2014, Phase 2. In terms of students, which of these projects would be the most important? For students, the Tally Project, I really feel like is going to be the most important and beneficial um, as far as our campus core is concerned. Um, that'll really be a gathering place for students, whether they're purchasing books or supplies, studying, eating, socializing, whatever it is that their need is at that time, whatever they've got going on, they're going to be able to do that at Tally. Right. So, and I know that a lot of these projects aren't necessarily going to be really, really exposed to students. So, which one, um, which of these projects are the most important in terms of functionality for the university? Um, well, right now I have noticed that there's a lot of focus on making it easier for students to get around campus. There's a lot of work being done on sidewalks, creating new sidewalks, renovating existing sidewalks. Um, that's really going to have a major impact on students um, on a day to day basis. So I know that you said earlier that there are hundreds of projects going on. Um, mm -hmm. How are all of these projects being paid for? Um, well, the government appropriates funds to various departments and entities within the university, and um, those funds become utilized for classroom renovations, of course, building funds for the Centennial Campus Student Housing, Tally, landscape projects, uh, various things like that, down to... The, the steam lines on campus, upgrading electrical lines, and so forth. So it's hard from an outside standpoint to really see everything that goes on on the inside because there's so much that happens to make this campus run efficiently and effectively for everyone. And uh, how will all of this affect on-campus uh, guests and residents over the summer? Over the summer, it may be a little confusing just due to all of the outside contractors um, coming onto campus to try to get these jobs complete before the fall semester. Um, we have made some maps that will hopefully allow camps and conference conferences 
guests and current students to maneuver around some of the major impactful construction sites. Um, but aside from that, um, maybe driving around campus may become a little difficult at times, but um, we really try to focus on alerting the community so that they can plan accordingly when they visit campus. And what are these uh, major zones that are impacted by construction at the, at the moment? There's the Natural Resources lot, which is north of Jordan, Biltmore, Pulp and Paper, and Robertson. Um, that project has that lot closed half at a time throughout the summer. Um, then, of course, West Cates Avenue is closed for the summer. And then there may be a small lot here and there um, randomly on Central Campus and North Campus, um, maybe some spaces here and there that are reserved for various projects. Um, traffic is pretty free-flowing on um, Centennial Campus at the moment, so we don't really see any uh, issues there as far as being able to maneuver around. Um, as far as that, um, the major impacts are right here in Central Campus. So will students see any of the benefits from the construction in the next coming year? Yes. Tally, of course, is going to open a portion of their phase. And then these walkways that, that they're constructing and, and renovating throughout campus will be of great impact and of great use. And, of course, anytime you update your steam lines, that's going to help with your hot water and um, everything that you use on a day-to-day basis that sometimes we would take for granted if we were ever without them, electricity, and so forth. I know that the university has been making a a large effort to go towards sustainability and conservation. Are any of these projects uh, relating to that effort? Yes. The renovations that they they constructed here at the Kate Steam Plant was a really big one. It um, will be saving the university a lot of money on a year-to-year basis, um, even starting with this upcoming year. Um, They just did some renovations to the Yarborough steam plant as well, and um, that should be wrapping up this summer. Um, Just the various, even with the smaller classroom renovations and um, greenhouse renovations at Phytotron and whatnot, they're really trying to um, incorporate sustainability um, in in any small or large level that they can. All right, well, Tara, that's all I have for you today. Um, Thank you so much for coming in. So Tara definitely gave you guys a clue as to what's going to be closed during coming months. But for all the students that are staying on campus, I have a full list here, which I will now share with you guys. Kate's Avenue is going to be closed until August 15th. Uh, The Tally Student Center is going to be closed until December for demo and staging. And then early 2014, it's going to come back online and we're all going to be able to enjoy it. So be excited for that. Natural Resources Lot is closed to August 15th, just like Miss Tara said. Um, Lee Hall will be experiencing interior renovations until the 15th. Uh, That's not going to really disrupt much of anything. It's just going to take up a couple spots in the parking lot. Same thing for the College of Textiles, as well as the uh, stairs in Kilgore Hall. The Brickyard, Broughton Wall, and Path is going to be closed until June 14th, and that's just going to take up four spaces reserved on Broughton Drive and, of course, the path in of itself. The stairs in Method Hall are going to be closed until June 15th. They're going through renovations as well. It's just going to take a, That's just going to take a couple of spots on Method Road. And the Peel lot will be mostly open, but there are going to be cones in a couple of spaces, so you're told not to move those. Added on to that, Nelson West and South parking lots are going to be milled and resurfaced 
on June 11th and 12th. So with that in mind, for Eye on the Triangle, this has been DeAndre Jones. Here I have for us the latest installment of Restaurant of the Week, Yum Yum. Alright y'all, today I have another Restaurant of the Week. With summer comes more and more free time, and with more and more free time comes more and more eating. At least, that's what it means for me. Today I'm bringing you all a place called Remedy Diner. A small, homey place on East Hargett Street in downtown Raleigh that offers up a half-normal, half-vegetarian, 100% delicious menu to all. When you enter the restaurant, there's a fantastic atmosphere, nice, cozy, with Christmas lights and plenty of nice decorations. Think of it as a modern southern diner. And this place is really setting the bar for relatable, full-course meals that aren't too pricey or too fancy. Go out and try the faux chicken wings or the delicious real Reuben. Guys, I had the fried broccoli appetizer, and let me tell you what, it really, really blew my world up. The atmosphere tied into the delicious and versatile menu are a perfect combination and more than a reason to check out the Remedy Diner. That's my restaurant for this week, and for Eye on the Triangle, this has been DeAndre Jones. Well, guys, that's about all I have for you all this week. As always, I'd like to thank the contributors that have helped with this show. So a big thanks to Andrew Eichen and Gene Jernoff for helping out. Also, a big thanks to Tara Lanier for sitting down with me, as well as student body president Matthew Williams. And as always, if you heard anything you liked, you hated, or anything that made you think, let us know on our Facebook page. You can also follow us on Twitter at WKNC underscore EOT. Also, be sure to check out our blog at WKNC.org. Until June 24th, ladies and gentlemen, good night.